All right, welcome everybody back to another Community Conversations. My name is Steve Coffrin. I'm the founder of Boosting Your Financial IQ. And today I have three of my homies from, uh, <laughs> from we, we used to all work together at the fintech company that I was CFO of. So I'm excited to have them all together on this show because they have a great perspective to share, especially from a FinOps perspective. They've been in school They've had their career. They're very successful. I'm a little biased, but I, I think they're some of the best FinOps professionals out there. So that's why I wanted to have them on the show and in this conversation, because you're going to hear it straight from their mouth, what it takes to be successful and to find what you want in these types of roles. So welcome, Joseph, Heidi, Reed to the show. Thanks well, for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, so... I want to start off, this is a, a very casual conversation, but I want to understand first, you're working in FinOps now, right? And so I did my school and I got my undergrad in accounting and finance. And I went through the program, you learn all this stuff, right? You you go through the textbooks and all these sometimes stupid exercises, and then you get out and you get into the real world. And sometimes there's this like massive gap. Like in my undergrad, we didn't use Excel a whole lot. And it's not like I, I went to school when Excel yeah. wasn't around. Excel was around. We didn't use Excel a whole lot. And then you get out in the real world, you're like, oh my gosh, you have to use Excel all the time and like model and do all this stuff. So there's this massive disconnect. But I want to hear from you because some people may be listening to this right now. And it's like, how well do you think these accounting and finance programs actually prepare you for a real job in FinOps? And, and where do you think the, the big gap is? Yes. Um, yeah, go ahead. So, well, yeah. So I was just going to say that I think I've learned way more just like in my actual job than I ever learned from a textbook. And I think that within the colleges and everything, they are moving towards that like real world kind of like teaching and experience. But like back when I was in college, it was just all textbooks. And I didn't even learn how to build a pivot table until my first job. So yeah, it's just a lot of disconnect between what you're actually going to be doing and just kind of like maybe the the groundwork for what the accounting industry is, but they don't really teach you like all the hands-on experience when you're actually in the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a little younger than Reed, so I was in college not that <laughs> long ago. Um so they have gotten a little better about like real-world applications, but something I learned while going to college and working is that they work very well hand in hand together. I was doing my associates while working in accounting. And so that's like the best way to apply what you're learning to what you're doing and being able to ask questions. I think the biggest disconnect and the gap in the learning is the technology systems. Back before in accounting, everything was manual. We had to calculate everything manual, input spreadsheets manually. And now there's ERP systems, there's databases, there's tools, there's programs that help you forecast and calculate what's going on right now. I wish that schools nowadays would teach how to utilize these systems and tools and maximize your resources. Because I mean, nowadays, how often do you calculate things manually? You don't. You use a calculator or you use a spreadsheet or um, some sort of database. So I think that's something that programs can utilize nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Joseph, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, kind of going off of what Reed said, I think getting a degree in finance and accounting will typically yield like pretty rounded skill set that could apply to a lot of different professions. But Kind of like what Reed said, I, I, one thing I wish that I came out of college with was more of that real world experience, you know, and facing like actual 
challenges that you'll see in the workforce. I generally feel like formal education is definitely a testing heavy culture. And it would be, you know, more applicable if we face more real world challenges. And, you know, especially in FinOps, the the ops part of that, that hits you pretty hard, you know, because you don't get a lot of repetitions in school. So I think it's just a big learning curve when you come on to your first FinOps role. But I think, like Heidi said, it, it can work in conjunction with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to Heidi's point too, with all that is, so how do you get experience with these ERP systems that you're going to be using if you've never had that? I mean, I like how you said like working in a role while going to school. I think that's key because then it's like, okay, yeah, like I use this ERP at work. So now it makes sense what a general ledger actually is or what a chart of accounts actually is in the real world. But if somebody doesn't have experience working in Oracle or some other ERP system, should they be freaked out or like, are there things that they can do to get up to speed? Or is it like, just wait until you get out of school and then your company will teach you how to do it? No, I mean, there's always stuff you can do. You can like watch YouTube videos on how to Mm -hmm. use these type of applications. And I'm sure there's even like user manuals on like Oracle's website. If you wanted to learn how to like use their systems. So there's always like tools you can find that are out there, even like books just like specific towards that ERP system. So it's just kind of doing that stuff on your own, being proactive and kind of learning what you want to learn and kind of taking that into your next job. Yeah, You can also schedule a demo with one of those products and services or ERP systems. I mean, they're happy to share their products. So you can just go submit the application on SAP or whatever you need to do and say, hey, I want to see 15 minutes how this product works, how it's used in accounting, and they'd be glad to show you a demo. You can even say you work for a company or whatever, and they'll be even happier to show you. Yeah. And and I think that's a great idea because then at least it can maybe knock off some of the fear that you may have about the unknown. At least you can get your mm-hmm. eyes on it. Even if you're not going to be an expert in 15 minutes through a demo, at least you can see it to your point. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I see it. I have some experience. Now I know what to expect. I think that's smart. Let me ask you this. Okay. Now that I'm gone, right. And you can say whatever you want, and there's going to be no retaliation. I use <laughs> Google sheets a lot to build out these like forecasts. And I link Google sheets to Google sheets. Let me ask you this, Google sheets or Microsoft Excel. Excel. I mean, to be honest, I've become a big fan of Google Sheets now. So just being able to like have everyone kind of working in it at the same time, being able to like add comments and have emails sent to people being like, hey, like, can you see what's going on in this cell? And then they'll be able to like respond and kind of follow up on your questions. I haven't really ever done that with Excel before. So that was kind of a a cool new feature. Yeah, I'd say definitely Excel for the functionality, but I think Google Sheets for the collaboration and, you know, getting more people involved in that in an easy way. Yeah, exactly. Like Excel, I love Excel. I I could bust out a shortcut like Alt-HBH. Okay, that's underlining the cell. And then in Google, you know, I'm, I'm often trying to do these shortcuts. I'm like, dang it, I got to use my mouse. But, mm-hmm. but I agree there, there are a lot of benefits and, uh, and, and you should know how to use Excel. You should know how to model for sure, because otherwise you're going to get into accounting in, in a finance uh, role and you're going to be totally lost. Do you agree? Like, how can somebody get started with Excel and like build models and learn how to like use it more if they don't have a lot of exposure to it? Let's take a quick break. All right. I have to interrupt the show, but I'll be super quick. 
I have a question for you. Who are you working for? Chances are you're working for everyone else besides yourself. Think about it. You're working for shareholders by grinding away in someone else's company. You're working for a bank by paying interest. You're working for the government by paying taxes. You're working for social media companies by giving your attention to their paid advertisers. You're working for your friends by doing crap that you don't want to do. You're working for everyone else by not pursuing the most essential things you are destined to achieve. Look, I've been there. I'm still there at times. Ugh, it could be so frustrating. If you want to achieve financial freedom, the fastest way to do it is through business. Don't get tricked by get-rich-quick schemes. Don't be fooled that your 401k is going to build you wealth. Don't waste time by trying to piece business finance together. Check this out. Here's my invitation. Go to byfiq.com, which stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ, Com and check out our programs. We have one for every possible path you're on. Whether your goal is to become fluent in business finance, launch a profitable business, or scale a business successfully, we have a solution to help you. I promise you, your life will change when you take action. So check out these opportunities that I've prepared for you. Now back to the show. I mean, I think... It's just kind of getting into that first role where you can actually utilize it a lot. Because, I mean, I don't really have a lot of times outside of like work that I use Excel, but like maybe finding problems or kind of some interesting uh, YouTubes that you can learn or just anything that'll kind of help with that knowledge. I mean, I've used it on my personal life. So with my own budgeting, with my own finances, with my friends, because people always come to me since I'm in finance and accounting, people assume we're all CPAs. We're not. (laughs) To use the Excel functions to be able to even forecast your own revenue and expenses and build models that way, just using what you already know and what makes sense to you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think... Making okay. it personal as well, you know, like like Heidi said, tracking your your expenses and building out a budget. But also, you know, if you're interested in the financial markets, you know, find a company that you know you enjoy and that you want to follow, and maybe you know take a look at a 10k, try and build out your own models and see you know see what that yields you. Yeah, I agree. So hashtag real talk here. Let, let's get a little <laughs> vulnerable, right? But when you got into your careers, like into your positions. Did you ever look back and think, dang, I wish I would have these skills or I would have developed these person like these personal attributes? Maybe, you know, I wish I was more patient or more empathetic, or I knew this this skill or that skill or whatever it may be. Looking back, are there skills or attributes you wish you had had when you got into the role? That that's my first question. Then I'll I'll follow up with that. Yeah. I think that I wanted to be more comfortable with saying, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what's going on. I haven't learned this before. Can you please teach me? Because a lot of times people love to teach and love to mentor. It's just about being comfortable with saying you don't know it and being comfortable in asking. And if your supervisor is like, well, you should have learned this in school, then they're not really that good of a supervisor. They should be happy to give you the resources and help you learn what you need to learn to fulfill your job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Kind of going off of that, just being comfortable asking questions asking for help when you need help instead of like sitting there for an hour spinning your wheels just not knowing what to do kind of just speaking up communicating with your coworkers or boss kind of just being like hey like i'm not really sure what to do here how can i learn this better and then they can kind of help kind of build that knowledge yeah absolutely 
What do you think it takes to be successful in FinOps? I think um, good communication skills never hurt. I, I think being coachable and being a lifelong learner, being resourceful is key. You know, like like you guys said, you might not know everything, but like, can you go figure it out is really important. And then I'd say being willing to go the extra mile for your team and picking up more responsibilities or, for example, thinking about how you could better a process or procedure, stuff like that should definitely help. Okay. What if you're working in a role, somebody's watching this, they're working in a role and they're thinking to themselves, it's time to make a move. Maybe they've hit a ceiling with their position. They're not learning. They're not growing. Maybe they want to switch industries. Maybe they want to go back to school. Maybe they want to go to school. I'm sure you guys have dealt with that before, or, or you've, you've had to think through that. What advice do you have to somebody who's in that position, they feel like they're stuck. They feel like they need to move, but dang, it's like scary, right? It's scary. It's the unknown is out there. Like what advice do you have for them? I would say start with the end goal in mind and then work backwards. So if you know what you want to do, for example, I'm seeing somebody at my company who is doing the role that I would love to have. Let me make that that my end goal. This is the role I want to do. Now, what qualifications are required to get here? What steps do I need to take to get there? And what's the most effective way to get there? Because if you have an action plan, nothing should be scary because you know what you're going to do. You made it logical. You made it reasonable and you have a timeline. Yeah, for sure. I like that. Let me ask you this. How important is your boss? I guess that, that's what I'm getting at. And so you guys worked with me, total a-hole, right? Like <laughs> just like, the, worst. the worst work environment ever. No, I'm just kidding. But no, how, I mean, out of all seriousness, like how important is a boss? I mean, if you have a, a bad boss, but you're getting good experience, is it like just hang in there and just keep learning? Or is it like life too short if you don't like your boss and the leadership or whatever, it's time to go? Or like, wh what are your thoughts overall on that? Because some people, you know, they reach out to me and they're just like, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. Like I'm getting great experience. I work for a great company, but like, I just yeah. clash with my financial leader, the CFO or the controller or whoever they report to. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I feel like you can learn wherever you go but like it's that culture and like people you're around that like if you're going to spend five days a week around these people like working with them you want them to like kind of be like a friend to you like you want to be able to like talk to them about work or personal stuff just kind of like whatever you need to talk to them about you need to be comfortable with that so i just feel like if you're unhappy with like, your boss or those people like the work you're doing you can find that somewhere else. But like that environment and culture is really hard to find. So that's kind of what I aim towards achieving. I think a lot of people, you know, if they're in a good company, but it's just like that boss, it's tough. Like I think a lot of people will stick it out and can still learn a lot. But I mean, coming into Tiffin, especially, you know, having leaders that, you know, have emotional intelligence are good decision makers are really good at communicating I think most importantly, being approachable makes, you know, a huge difference. Sure. I agree. Heidi, do you have anything to add on that? You're like, no, I'm I'm listening very closely to what Joseph had to say, because I'm like, <laughs> what's, do you hate your boss? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the people's a hundred percent. His boss, her name was um, Whitey and um, she was really aggressive. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. So I was listening closely first before I spoke. Um, people's everything to me. If 
I don't think I could be at a place where I did not get along with my coworkers, let alone my boss. Your boss is kind of directly responsible for your trajectory with the company, how motivated you are to work. Obviously, there's other factors such as coworkers and executive leaderships, but your boss is really the heavy weight of the company, to you at least. So I think that you should definitely like the people you work with and like what you're working for. And if not, it may be best to either see if how everyone else is feeling on the team about your boss specific, because it could be just be one person out of the entire company or team, right? Or it could be the entire culture of the company. So that's something to keep in mind when determining whether to switch or stay with that company. Yeah, absolutely. So Heidi, question to you, because since we work together and since I've left, you've you know moved up through the ranks pretty quickly. And so my question to you is, how did you do that? And like, what what leadership skills did you have to learn along the way to be the effective leader that you are today? Because I think you're extremely effective. You connect with your team. You do a great job um, leading and leading by example. How did you do that? And what did you have to learn along the way? Mindset is huge. So taking challenges as an opportunity rather than an obstacle is huge. I mean, we lost a huge portion of our department, as you were aware of, um, at a given time. And we could have all panicked and said, I don't want to be here. This is too much work on our plate. We are all going to leave. But all three of us saw this as an opportunity to say, hey, this is a great way to step up into this role. Clearly, there's a job function that needs to be performed that's no longer being performed. I am not completely equipped to figure it or to do this, but I can figure it out and utilize my resources and ask for help. I mean, they had bosses who they asked for. We can ask for help there. Um, we could use the example that they set to do their role and the modules they built. Cause it's not like you're left with nothing, right? You still have these spreadsheets that are built. You still have all these financial records that were built. You kind of just have to work backwards. So I think just mindset is huge. Taking every challenge as an opportunity and having a good team to support you. Cause clearly I needed Joseph and Reed and they needed me and we all worked together to advance all of us. What do you think makes a good boss, Reed and Joseph? Like, You've worked with Heidi, you've worked with others. Like, what do you think are some of the attributes of a, a highly effective leader? Someone who's kind of patient and understanding, someone who can kind of listen to your concerns and actually act on them and kind of help make you feel more comfortable. Someone who is always there whenever you need it because you want to feel like you're not alone or like lost in just having that person that can kind of help you through all of that um, is really beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, you know, someone who is in your corner and is advocating for you, someone who, like I said, is approachable, has good communication skills, kind of understands the position you're in is good at delegating work. And then in turn, helping you when you have questions and whatnot, which Heidi and Rita both done, you know, amazingly. That's great. What if somebody wants to get into a FinOps role but they don't have experience with finance, accounting, and maybe they don't have a degree in financing and accounting, and but they want to get into a role. What advice do you have for them and how, how should they get started? Network. I mean, it's eventually somebody you know is going to be in finance and accounting. It's more common than you can imagine, whether it's bookkeeping, whether it's controller, there's CPA, tax work, there's going to be someone there. And as long as they know who you are, and you made a good report on your character, then people are willing to give you opportunities. I got my first job from bartending. 
I bartended at a golf course and I was just speaking with somebody talking about, oh yeah, what do you do? What does your mom do? Yeah, I would love to go into accounting. And they just created an opportunity and a role at their company for me just because they saw how hard I worked in my bartending job. And they figured that that hard work is going to translate into anything you do. It doesn't just stay at one role. So um, networking is huge. Yeah, I agree. And kind of just like starting at the bottom, because you can easily get a role as like an accounts payable clerk or like some like lower accounting job where you can start learning all those like kind of necessary tasks that go along with it and learning all of that. So I think that's a good place to start is just finding like an assistant job where you help someone out like a small company or helping them with whatever they need. So it's like kind of all operations, but also you can kind of get into that accounting aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you could start off doing data entry for a company, bookkeeping, work your way up. You learn AR, you learn AP. Now you're starting to get into the other general ledger accounts. And then next thing you know, you're doing financial reporting. So I I think that's good advice. All right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hijack all the questions here. I'm going to give you guys a chance to ask me some questions, but before I do, before I, I switch over and ask you guys questions, what are some other ways that people can boost their financial literacy skills? I mean, I would say definitely start listening to financial podcasts, whatever the topic may be. I'd say this podcast is a great place to start. Thank Read you. financial books. You know, I started with a random walk down Wall Street. That's a really good one just to get, you know, introduction into financial markets. Like we said earlier, make it personal. Start tracking your own finances and understand where each dollar is going and then analyze that. And I think it's super important to find a mentor or a group of like-minded individuals to discuss these financial topics. That's great. Hey, what kind of questions do you have for Steve? Do you, if, any, <laughs> if not, I'll just keep asking the question. Yeah. I have one. Um, as someone who's had the pleasure of interviewing with you, Steve, I wanted to know, <laughs> what do you look for when hiring ideal candidates? You remember how scary I was to like talk to, like interview with? Yeah. I was scared for him. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, like going to put him with Steve. Hey, what's scary about my interview style? Is it my questions or is it my low eyebrows or is it? (laughs) I don't think anything was was scary. It was just, you know, handling insulting esque sort of question on the fly. But I mean, I I wouldn't say scary, but. Yeah. It was just the random questions that would pop up every once in a while. My yeah, you didn't questions. ask questions on accounting and finance. You asked questions to see how their solution, like how their problem solving skills were, which yeah. is a complete different type of interview, but it's more common nowadays. And I and I think that's a, a great segue to answer Joseph's question, Heidi, is you know, mm-hmm. when I'm looking for a candidate and looking for like this team to like build, I'm thinking to myself, okay, here's my first test. And I think I shared this with you guys, but my test is. If I was stuck in the car with this candidate and I had to drive up to the mountains to go skiing or snowboarding, you know, how we did our trip, (laughs) if I was just stuck with them alone, would I be like, oh my gosh, you know, get me out of here? (laughs) Or would it be, you know, a a good experience? And I know that that's, it's kind of a funny way to look at it, but you're spending so much time with your team, especially in FinOps. I would argue that a FinOps role, like FinOps people, they, they work the most out of a company or, or, you know, right up there with, you know, executive leadership, but they, they, they work a lot of hours. 
And so when you're working together in these hours and these settings, it's just like you're working in very much like personal and professional spaces that overlap. So if you can't work with them and you can't trust them and, and build that camaraderie with them, it, you're not going to be a highly effective team because you have to have that trust. You have to know like, hey, if I ask you to do something, like you're going to follow through. There also has to be that trust like in, in the respect for each other where it's like, hey, if I call you on a Friday night at 11 p.m., it's because like I need you to answer the phone because it's something like critical is up. And if you build that trust with the team, then and you you care about your team and you have compassion for your team and you're kind to your team and you help them grow and you want to see them succeed, then they'll give back. So when I'm looking for a candidate, I'm looking at them saying, okay, are they humble? Do they have humility? Are they hungry? Are they teachable? Do they have this ambition? But really, like, do I want to spend my life with them? Geez, you know, you're spending what, like <laughs> 2,500 hours a year together. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but those are my thoughts on the team dynamic. Yeah. I completely agree. I think when we were, because actually I started before you, which was great on my part. Um, one of your yeah. interview questions was how you handle a team and it was empathy. And that was huge across our entire team dynamic was empathy and compassion for one another's. And we're just in finance and accounting, but it translates to everything. So I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Another question for you, since we were talking about colleges, you did your undergraduate in accounting and finance. Yep. For those who are unsure of which degree to pursue, what would you recommend and what are the pros and cons for each? That's great. I mean, I just had this, this conversation last week with somebody. So it's great that we're talking about it here so that more people can hear about it. Because I think a lot of people, they have that question. I had that question. So originally my undergrad was finance and marketing. And I was like two classes away from getting my marketing undergrad. And then I switched. I just completely switched and I went down the accounting route as well. So I went finance and accounting. So I, I was lucky to have both. But then when I went into my master's program, I had to choose between a master's in finance and a master's in accounting. And then in accounting, I had to go down the accountancy route or the taxation route, which I'll, I'll get into. So let me just start with accounting and finance. Two totally different types of of disciplines and functions here. The reason why I chose accounting for me is because I wanted to learn how the financial statements worked. I wanted to understand the transactions that made up that one line item on the P&L or on the statement of cash flows. So with finance, you're just given the income statement, the balance sheet and the statement of cash flows, like take this, build a model, do a DCF, you know, do this forecast and take these numbers. And sure, you have some exposure to some of the line items, like, obviously, you know what certain things mean. Like, hey, I know what revenue and amortization and goodwill mean. But from the accounting perspective, you know what questions to ask and how to dive in deeper into the story because you know, okay, goodwill, something's off here. Like, it was here last year. Now the balance is here. The only way that would have worked is if you did a debit here and a credit here and you could like work through the story in your mind because you understand the mechanics of how those financial statements were built. So it's almost like you're starting off from the, the ground, the foundation, and you understand and you see how the house is being built, right? You know, like what's being hidden behind the drywall, right? Per se of the house versus finance. You just walk into the house, the house is finished, and now you're going to like optimize it. So that for me was huge. But then in my accounting role, like I, so I went and got my master's in accounting and I was faced with, okay, go down the accountancy route, which is more like an audit career or go down the taxation route. 
And somebody told me once, and this is just for me. So if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in a taxation uh, type degree program, like it's okay. But for me, it's like, I didn't want to get pigeonholed and, and I didn't want to be known as the tax person. You could be an audit and then get out of audit and go into a controller role or FP&A or CFO or whatever it is. But when you're in a taxation role, I would argue it's a little bit harder to go from like tax to be like a controller. You're going to be like the director of tax or the manager of tax. And to me, I I have a tax accountant because I just, I don't want to get into the weeds of like taxation. Like my whole family, they think I'm due tax. Like, Hey, can you do my tax return? So I'm like, I don't do that. I don't, I don't do taxes. So that's my perspective there. And then I didn't want to be known as an accountant. So I didn't want like my education to just stop there. So like my last degree was accounting. That's just me. Nothing wrong with it. I'm a CPA, but like, I also say, look, I'm like so much more than just an accountant wearing this green shade, doing debits and credits in the back office and producing financial statements. I want to be a storyteller of the financials. I want to be that partner, like you guys alluded to, the ops part of Finn, Finn and ops, like the whole organization, like every function touches FinOps or FinOps touches every function. And so I wanted to be this strategic leader who looked at the business from a big, broad strategy operating standpoint instead of just being labeled as, oh, here's Steve. He's the guy who's going to chase me down if I don't turn in my expense report. And I have a question about debits and credits. And you know, I'm going to go talk to this nerdy accountant person who just works in a silo. So that's why I took the next steps and I got my MBA because that's where I wanted to like end on. Not that education ever stops. I'm still learning, but I didn't want like the last degree for me to be like pigeonhole me in that area. Those are my thoughts, but I want to hear your guys' perspective. Does it really matter going into FinOps if you're an accountant or coming more from the finance side? I actually got my undergrad in finance and I don't think I ever went into the financial field. I I started in accounting, started with accounts payable and just kind of worked my way up from there. Mm-hmm. So I think either degree will kind of help you with the groundwork. It's just kind of what kind of like base knowledge do you want to have? Um, Cause I, I learned all the debits and credits through like just introductory accounting classes that you're kind of required to take in college, but then like having that full financial background kind of helped with the analysis part of it, which is kind of what I enjoy as well. That's great perspective. Heidi? Yeah, I was told by a professor once in college, I asked because I wasn't sure whether I want to do finance or accounting because I'm the same way. I don't want to be pigeonholed. I actually like finances. Like I like to tell the story. I asked, should I get an accounting degree or should I get a finance degree? And I think it was a she. She said, you can get a finance job with an accounting degree, but you can't get an accounting job with a finance degree. Clearly, that's not true. Reed, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Reed, Reed like snuck through the system there. I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think anomaly. he snuck through the system because you don't, they yeah. don't teach you about that kind of stuff. Of course, you have your introductory classes, but um, just to use point, it's the foundation. So understanding the financial statements through and through, and then being able to take that, I know what this is made up of, and then I can tell a story on it. And if this doesn't look right, then I'm able to drill down into it and figure out why it's wrong and to what degree. So I went for accounting, um, but I, if I were to go back for my master's, I probably would get an MBA focus in finance mm-hmm. just to have both. So, yeah, you, both. you know, because they're both applicable. They're both important. I like that. 
Yeah, no. And I, and I think that's a good point. It's like, if you're going to be a financial advisor or broker or be like on the private wealth management side of the world, you know, you could get a finance degree and, and that's a, a great transition into that field. But if you want to work in like a FinOps role, you know, I, I think one or the other can work. So, you know, read it right here as an example of a company that doesn't do mm-hmm. background checks. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I don't know how we thought you were an accounting person the whole time. I, I can't believe you just admitted that live here. <laughs> but no, I, but no, it's a, it's a great example. To your point, it's like you could you can gain the foundation from the finance side. You could gain a foundation from the accounting side. I think mm-hmm. like a blend of both, like whether it's the blend comes from two different degrees, or you know, Reed's point, like, hey, I'm coming in from the the, the finance degree academic side. I'm going to learn the accounting side in the real world. You blend those two together, and I think that's really what helps people to become like this strategic financial leader that I I always talk about. Well, yeah. So, how do you kind of see like finance and accounting evolving in the future? Since you're kind of like in the weeds of it, how do you see it changing? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great question. And Heidi was talking about this earlier in this episode where she's saying like back in the day, you know, technology was a lot different and now there's like systems that do it. And and now there's artificial intelligence that's being embedded in these systems that's doing a lot of the transactional work. So I think, you know, back in the day, sure, you're, you're starting a job, your data entry, you're taking like invoices, like you're taking paper invoices from companies and you're either like filing it in a file cabinet or you have receipts and you're like stapling it to different reports or whatever. It was a much more manual process, very transactional, very compliance driven. And I think it's moving more from a compliance driven, transactional driven role to more of a, a strategic type role. And so you guys can feel free to disagree. Like, sure, there's certain parts of the business where you have to do the transactional side. Like somebody has to do the accounts receivable, accounts payable, which involves a lot of transactional uh, things. But nowadays it's like, you can download transactions. There's algorithms behind the scenes that pick up on, okay, this credit card account or credit card transaction equals you know, computers and software, or it's mapped to, you know, travel and entertainment or whatever the, the GL is. So there's, there's technology that streamlines that whole process. But I think over time, like artificial intelligence will come in and it will just it'll completely transform the FinOps function. So I think understanding the, the story behind the numbers, going back to that whole point, machines are going to have a hard time dissecting that. Sure. The machine can do the analysis and say, Hey, here's the current ratio. Hey, here's your your net income um, percentage, or here are these other financial metrics and these trends, and here are these graphs. But the machine's not going to be able to look at that and say, "Hey, look, I was just talking to you know Susie over here in business development, or I was just sitting in this product development meeting, and based on that conversation, I understand that we have a customer retention issue, and that's why I'm seeing this in the graph." And here are three things that I think we could do to go optimize our bottom line. Like the machine's not going to be able to do that. So I think understanding the story behind the numbers, and that's why I think the blend of accounting and finance is so important because you, you get this data and then you go do something about it. And I think the role is, is so much more than just reporting on this data saying, Hey, look, I, I created these financial reports. Here you go. I think it's more evolving into Hey, here's your PL, here's your statement of cash flow. When I look at your free cash flow trend, 
And I look at your trailing 12 month like contribution margin or your your labor as a percentage of revenue. I'm noticing some trends here and I think we we should pivot here or do these three things or we should really you know, look at our customer experience or our pricing or look at our, our travel entertainment budget or our policy or whatever it is. And you're, you're making like real world tactical changes to drive the numbers instead of just being this department that just reports on numbers and serves as the cop of the organization. That's kind of a long-winded answer there, but what are your, your yeah. guys' thoughts on that based on your experience? I agree. Kind of like technology is kind of like helping us enhance our roles but i don't think our role is ever gonna like disappear yeah. like we were needed because of we have the like kind of like human intelligence behind the operations and everything a computer can only tell you so much about the numbers but we kind of have the communication between like the operate the finops saying we have the operations behind it that can kind of help us with our decisions and kind of pivot if things need to change like immediately. Yeah. Like remember when we were doing the financial review meetings every month and prior to that with the financial reporting, you'd go through and add all those notes and it's like, okay, this account went from here to here. And the reason why is because, and then you, you start getting into the reasonings why, like the computer's not going to know that like artificial yeah. intelligence isn't, isn't mm-hmm. going to know that. And that was extremely helpful because that framed my conversation with these business unit leaders where they're looking at the financials and they're like, dang, why is my labor like so high this month? And you're like, oh, because of this and this and that, or why is software development, you know, skyrocketing? Oh, because I talked over here to the product development team and we're, we're releasing a new, like new product launch or whatever it is. And, and that was really helpful. So I agree with you, what you're saying there. It's, it's that interpretation of the financials, that skill is never going to go away. All right. So here's my question. In FinOps, it's highly demanding. Like we talked about, it, it takes a lot of hours and you know, it's a role that you almost have to be on all the time. When I CFO, it's like, we got this financial model that needs to be built because we need to turn it over to this investor because I'm having this phone call with him on Saturday, part of raising this capital and whatever it is. Like, it, It's not a nine to five, okay, shut your phone off at five o'clock type of role. For me, that's no problem. Like, could be a problem where I don't have boundaries around work, but there's, there's not really a separation between you know work and my personal life. Like, Sure, there's things where I, I spend time with my family and friends. Don't get me wrong. But also, I'm not like constrained to a computer and a desk. Like, I could work anywhere in the world, and I enjoy that, and I enjoy that flexibility. And I, I told you guys when I was um, CFO, I said, "Look, you could have time off. Just get your stuff done. Like, get your stuff done and and do whatever. Like, you have that freedom and flexibility." But the problem with that is like sometimes things could creep in because there's so many people coming at you saying, "Hey, Heidi, can you just..." do this report. I need this analysis. I need this. Reed, can you bust this out? Joseph, here, I can go go through these transactions, do this report, create this pivot table, do this analysis, create these graphs, whatever it is. And it could just become so much. So my question is this, how do you put in place healthy boundaries? So you're not just like working like crazy all the time and you know, you become this dull person. Yeah, this is something that I focus on heavily. One thing would be the quality of your work is way more important than the quantity of your work. You can work 10 hours and get one thing done, or you can work two hours and get four things done. What plays a huge role into that is what you do outside of your work. 
So if you're, for example, if you sleep well, if you eat well, if you um, have a good relationship with your family, if you exercise, that's going to scientifically proven it stimulates your brain. It helps with your focus. It helps with the quality of work that you can do too. So I think, and I stress not to neglect your non-work life heavily. That's a huge boundary. So if you know you have a family dinner every week for at this time, you will block that off in your calendar, schedule things around it, and learn how to prioritize your tasks to make sure that you can do those things outside of work. Delegation is huge too. So let's just say it's within that boundary time period and you know somebody else, like let's just say Joseph has a family dinner on a Thursday versus a Wednesday. And I know something's due on a Wednesday. I can be like, hey, Joseph, I have my family dinner to do. Do you mind stepping in and helping me out and communicating when you need help for those times that it oversteps your boundary? Yeah, I like that. And I like those and it, 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 it is so true. I mean, it's having those boundaries. Otherwise, things just like creep in and, and just suck your life away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, real quick story. I, I was working with one of my senior managers when I was working in uh, public accounting. You know, she relayed this story to me where it's like she was working a ton. She just work and work and work. And one time she went home to see her mom. And while she was there with her mom, she's like on her laptop, like, half listening to her mom talk like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, not really paying attention, distracted the whole trip. Work was just so demanding coming at her. Like she had all these deadlines and then she left. And shortly thereafter, her mom passed away. And it was like so devastating to her. And it like created this resentment within her towards her company. So she ended up leaving her company and She's close to becoming a partner, but she just had this like life crisis where it's like, oh my gosh, my priorities were so out of whack. So mm-hmm. we don't want anybody to experience that because it'd be terrible. And sometimes like I find myself in that role where I'm just like working and working and working and working. And I have to like focus and have that discipline to say no to certain things. Otherwise it just like takes over. Reed, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was just going to say that it really is good to have that like synergy within uh, the department because if you don't have that ability to have someone else like help you out um kind of like ask them for help if you're gone on vacation or anything just being able to like learn everything about the company like all the roles because like me and Heidi are kind of like switching off accounts payable accounts receivable right now so we're all like learning everything that we're doing throughout the month and just being able to like have that person that can back you up when you're gone or like something important happens. So like if I was to get in a car accident or something bad were to happen and I needed to step away, like having Heidi or Joseph or other team members there to be able to like step in and kind of take over where I don't like have the ability to is kind of like necessary as well. Yeah. Great point. Joseph. Yeah, I'd say, you know, asking for help when you need it, learning to prioritize what needs to get done versus, you know, what can get pushed back until like, you know, a week later or a future date. I think what Heidi said about your own, you know, personal boundaries is also massive. And then in terms of the work-life balance, I find that going to a happy hour or getting to know someone outside of work can go a long way in feeling like you have that balance too. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Like making sure you have fun along your journey, right? Totally. All right. Any parting words of wisdom for the audience here before we sign off? Heidi, you're always full of wisdom. I No, no I'm thinking. I would say now's the time to take chances. Now's the time to establish what you want to do and change 
your avenue and your path if needed. I mean, there's in accounting and finance, there's a ton of different options you can do. There's a ton of different roles, ton of different sectors. And it's okay to keep an open mind on what everyone else is doing too. see which roles you like to do, what things you like to do, what things you hate to do and follow those because that's going to like lead you to the direction you want to be in. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I love that advice. I think that's so great. It's like, take chances now. Now's the time to take these chances because look, even if you fail, even if it's like a massive setback, you have tons of runway to make up for it. And like, who cares? Like, just go for it. You live life once. So yeah. don't be afraid to just go out there and put yourself out there. I love that advice, Heidi. Well, yeah. You even if you, example of it. Read. Yeah. Even if it's just starting a hobby kind of like on the side or outside of work that you can kind of like incorporate the accounting finance. Like if you're the treasurer of your church or something that like gives you access to that kind of will help build that knowledge today. I like that. That's great. Joseph, any wisdom you want? Yeah, to I mean, I would say definitely taking chances. I would say like, you know, tons of networking. You never know what, you know, doors that might open. You know, I, I think earlier on you, you should be, you know, developing and cultivating, you know, a deep interest for something and exploring that and seeing where that goes. Cause you know, you don't want to get bottlenecked, you know, you want to try new things and just be open-minded and, you know, ready to, you know, be coachable and just, you know, learn a ton. Yeah, I agree. And be coachable. I mean, look, you know, I'll sign off with this. It's like, this is the best team right here that I've ever worked with. And the reason why is because of that coachable, teachable, just the whole entire attitude. It's like, sure. Some days weren't, the most fun, like some days are crappy. Sometimes you have hard things happening in your personal life and like, that's fine. But we were all there for each other. And Mm -hmm. what I liked is like, if I ever came to you and said, Hey, Joseph, I need your help with this. It wasn't this attitude. If Heidi was helping me with something, she wasn't like protecting like information and holding stuff away. Or if I called Reed, you know, there's a few times I'm like calling Reed on my way home, like, okay, open up the model, go to the six, this cell, they type in this and you're like walking you through something for me. And there's always this like can do attitude. And I think that's part of that growth mindset. And if you want to have an abundant life, if you want to live a better financial life, having that humility, having that empathy, having that compassion, that kindness, and just having that attitude, like this can do attitude, like you could do hard things and don't be a pain in the butt for people. Like so many people, they, they just get like so protective in these roles, like the, the accounting role, like I've worked with so many accountants, they just, they get so offended if I, you know, talk bad about their chart of accounts or say, Hey, let's <laughs> organize the financials like this. They get so protective. So just have that can do attitude because I think the FinOps role is evolving. It's going to continue to evolve. And if you could be adaptive and resilient, you're going to be so successful. So, but thank you, Joseph, Heidi, Reed. Like, I love you guys. You guys are great. Love working with you. I miss you. I'm glad that we're able to reconvene here in this this little session. So thank you for your time. It means a lot. Likewise. Thank you as well. Hey, real quick. If you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at BYFIQ.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. 
One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play App Store today. Thanks again. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing. If you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play App Store today. Thanks again.